not really sure how to begin this morning. I uh, had had a thought for a bit, a couple of days, and uh, I think it's uh, my desire that everyone would, um, I guess you could say, fall in love with the scriptures. Um, The Bible tells us about the Bible. It's alive and living. It's different. And what's alive and living about it is when the Spirit of God works through its words to reflect and show us something about ourselves and show us something about God and who He is. And for those who've been in it for a while, you begin to uh, learn more about who He is. And sometimes there's things that surprise you. And that's the beauty of the scriptures, that you can open it up and having read it before, you can read it again. Sorry. You can read the scriptures again, and the Lord will teach you things that you didn't know before. He will reveal things to you that you didn't see before or hear before and give you lessons. And as I began to prepare for this, this is something that happened to me, and I, um, I really like the lesson that I got out of this. I hope you find it. That's helpful for you. Begin with 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to cover a few different verses today, um, some of which you'll want to turn to, others you'll just want to listen to. But 1 Peter chapter 3, you can turn there. I'm going to begin by reading verses 8 through 11, because this really kind of sets the stage and the tone for what we're talking about today. So 1 Peter 3, 8 through 11 reads as follows. Finally, be ye of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful and courageous, not rendering evil for evil, nor railing for railing, but contrawise being, knowing that you are hereunto called, that you should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips, that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. And so here we have in the book of Peter um, words of encouragement, directions for how we should be living and directions for how we should not be living, which I caught in Brother John's song that he just sang, that for the things that he should be doing and the things that he shouldn't be doing. So this describes to us how we should live and things we should refrain from doing. Today, I want to focus more on the positive attributes here, looking at things that we should be doing, the grace that reflects who we are in Jesus Christ, that we need to be um, like-minded with each other, one in accord, that we should be unified together. The Scripture says that over and over again, that we should have sympathy for one another, that we should have brotherly love for one another in all that we do that we should have the marks of compassion, that we should be humble, that we should seek to bless one another, and that we should pursue peace as much as possible. And then that comes to what I think is in verse 12, somewhat of a conclusion of those verses. It says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And where I want to focus today is the eyes of the Lord. Now, this is actually a quotation that the Apostle Peter is using here uh, from Psalms. In fact, Psalms 34, 15 through 16. 
I'll just turn there real quick and we can read it. 34, 15 through 16. Of course, that comes in a very famous chapter. I really like verse 8, and I've preached on this before. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. But in verse 14 and 15, it says, Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut them off the remembrance of them from the earth. And so we see for many, many years, for thousands of years, this idea that God is looking at us, that his eyes are upon us. And his eyes specifically, as it says, are on the righteous. We know that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We also see in Psalms 5.12, For you bless the righteous, O Lord, you cover them with favor as with a shield. And so who is the righteous that he's talking about? Who is it that God's eyes are directed at? Who is it that he sees? Well, it's those who've been saved by him. Those who have sought after um, Christ and have found him, have been convicted of their sins, have sought for repentance, and have found that repentance, and God has saved them. Those of us who have been redeemed or born again, whatever phrase you want to call it, those of us who know him and are known by him are righteous. Good. Not from my own account, not because I did anything to deserve this, but because I simply have put my faith in the one who was pure and righteous. Romans 5.19 says, For by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, and so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And so when God sees me, after I put my faith in him, after I've confessed my sins and been forgiven by him, all he sees is his son, his righteousness and holiness. And so let's go back to this idea that God looks and sees us, that God has eyes. Does God really have eyes? Not really in the way that we think that they do, think that he does. Scripture teaches us that God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So this idea that he has eyes in the human sense of the word isn't really what we're talking about necessarily, but there's no other way for us to understand, and so we are applying what we know, the characteristics about ourselves, to an almighty and all-holy God so that we can attempt to understand what is going on here. He doesn't need eyes either, because he's everywhere at all times, in all ways, and in all places. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything, 1 John 3.20. He knows everything. He doesn't have to have eyes to see. I'd have to have eyes if I want to see something. God doesn't, because he knows everything, and he is everywhere. Proverbs 13, uh, 15 and 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. There is nowhere that you can hide from God because he sees you everywhere. There is nothing that escapes his knowledge, nothing that escapes uh, his presence. We can try and hide all we want to. We can go anywhere we want to. We can be in any condition we can possibly imagine, the furthest reach of the earth, and God is there at all times, and God sees and God knows. And with that in mind, I want to read Psalms 139, I'm going to read the whole chapter. You can turn there if you like or just listen. 
It's probably very familiar to you. So keep in mind as I read this that God is everywhere at all times. God sees everything. God knows everything. And then listen to the words of David. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my sitting down and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassed my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain to it. And then I'll pause here to add that now David asks a beautiful question. Whether shall I go from thy spirit? Whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell on the uttermost parts of the sea, even there thy hand shall lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, and the darkness as light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in countenance were fashioned, as when they were none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For thy speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemy takes thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and I am not grieved with those that rise up against thee. I hate them with perfect hatred, and I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked in me, and leading me into the way everlasting. Brothers and sisters, I could preach for a whole year just on that one chapter. There is so much truth here. There is so much encouragement. There is so much beauty in the way that this psalm is written out to think that God cares about me, and he does. To think that God sits around and thinks about me, and he does, is amazing. Have you really considered this? Have you really paused to think about the fact you could almost say that God daydreams about you? He thinks about what it's like to be with you. He thinks about the things he wants you to do, the good things that he wants for you. 
He thinks about the things that he doesn't want you to do. But brothers and sisters, he thinks about how he can bless us and encourage us to be more like him. He wants us from the moment that we are created and knitted together to the moment that we finally get to meet him. For those of us who know him, he thinks about us. How precious are the thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. How much sand is there? How could you possibly number it? I dare say you couldn't get a bucket of it and number it. And yet God's thoughts toward us are infinite because He is infinite. Brothers and sisters, let this chapter encourage us as we consider this. The truth is that he loves us and he cares about us. He thinks about us. He encourages us. We are never, ever forsaken. He says as much in Hebrews 13 and 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. No matter what you're going through in your life, if you know the Lord and are known by him, he will never, ever leave you. He will never abandon you. Persecuted but not forsaken, which means abandoned. Cast down but not destroyed is our cry. He's never separated from his love, which is us. Romans 8 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't this amazing? Isn't this encouraging to think about that no matter what we're going through, no matter where we're at physically, no matter where we're at emotionally, that God is always there. He's always watching us and caring for us and thinking about us. (coughs) God is a personal God, and he wants us to have a personal relationship with him. It's even more amazing, perhaps we could begin to sit around and think about what it's like for him to know me, but it's even more amazing to think about the fact that our world population today is somewhere around 7.8 billion people. He knows all of them. Every day there are about 178,000 people born. And right now, about 177,000 people die. That's 131 people who took their first breath now, and now, and now, and now, and about the same number who took their last breath now, and again now, and again. Every moment of every day, there are hundreds of people who take their first and their last breath, and God knows every single one. And he thinks about you individually. I think we have this idea, perhaps because of popular culture or something, or maybe even from churches, that God is in heaven, which he is. But we have this idea that God is somehow maybe like sitting way above the earth and kind of looking down on it, kind of governing things and noticing something that goes on over here. And it's easy to think from that, well, how could God possibly care about me when there's all these people? 
God isn't just watching at a distance. Remember what I said at the beginning, he's everywhere. He's in all places, in all ways. As the psalmist said, there's nowhere we can hide from. It's not like he's just sitting up there looking and like we're a bunch of ants down here in a little colony moving around. God is present through the Holy Spirit in our lives. In fact, and this is where I really found special, we are the apple of his eye. As I said, you are encouraged to search the scriptures, to know the scriptures, and I don't remember particularly when, but I know it was several years ago, probably five or ten years ago, that I remember hearing one day in the Daily Audio Bible, Brian reading, talking about we're the apple of God's eye. And I thought, apple of his eye? Is that in the Bible? Well, I thought about it a little bit then, and I've mentioned it a couple of times, I think, from the pulpit or from teaching before. But then when I began to look into it, I realized that that phrase, the apple of his eye, is like a Hebrew phrase that originated from there. We know it today because Shakespeare used it, but Shakespeare stole it from the scriptures. A lot of really famous people did that, just so you know. The apple of his eye. Well, what, is, what on earth does that mean? Let me read you a couple of verses. Proverbs 7, 2 says it. Proverbs 7, 2. Keep my, my commandments and you will live. Guard my teaching as the apple of your eye. Psalm 17 and 8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Deuteronomy 32 and 10, just so you know the context here, this is what God is saying about the Hebrews and the people. Deuteronomy 32, 10 says, In the desert land he found them, in a barren and hallowing waste. He shielded them and cared for them. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. What does that mean? Are we were actually talking about apples, like the fruit I just always thought so. I just assumed, well, apple of his eye, maybe an apple is like really good to eat and it's kind of shiny. I, I don't know, but I never really looked into it. Well, now you're going to find out. And I sincerely hope it's one of those things that you remember for the rest of your life because there's more to it than meets the eye. Okay. Sorry. In Hebrew... The word apple is ishan, and the meaning is little man. Little man. And so when the scripture says, or the Hebrew phrase says, apple of your eye, it's referring to the little man of the eye. The little man of the eye. Now, what does that mean? If you get close enough to another person and you stare intently into their eye you will see your own reflection as a little man staring back so the apple of the eye is when you're close enough to see the little man staring back in a reflection and just for context you think about this it's only been recent that we would have photographs fairly recently, we'd be able to see up close our own eye or someone else's and be able to study it. And it's certainly fairly recently we've had good mirrors that we can look into and see our own reflection. You think about biblical times, there were 
a few semi-polished silver and kind of some mirrors sometimes. But you know the only time you might ever get to see yourself in biblical times was looking in the reflection of water and the reflection of someone else's eye. You have to be pretty close to see it, too. Okay, so for those who are taking notes, uh, four lessons from this. You want to jot them down. Four lessons. Try to make it real easy today. First lesson. God is close to us. God is close to us. Again, if you've ever looked at someone intently and looked close enough, you can see your own reflection, the little man in someone's eye. How close is that? It's about this close. I can't see the little man in your eye from here, nor could I see it at what in our culture we'd say is a comfortable social distance. I have to break those rules. I have to break what's maybe comfortable and get close. Real close. About six inches or so. That's how close God sees you. That's how intimately he views you. God is not some far-off God who looks down on the world and, like I said, sees a bunch of ants moving around or whatever. God is so intimate, he's so desiring a relationship with us, that his Holy Spirit is so close that we are the apple of his eye. Isn't that beautiful? It's absolutely stunning to think about. And if you've ever sat and looked in someone else's eye, you know what I'm talking about. (coughs) This is how close God is. He wants to be close, intimately close. In fact, sometimes even uncomfortably close to us. God is quite literally between what we see and the world. Because if something is only a few inches from my face, then it's between me and the world, isn't it? It is between us and the world that we see that God loves us and cares for us, and we understand from this that God is so close to us that we not only look through Him to see the world, but the world has to come through Him to get to us. And we see the way that God loves us way that he cares about us and we think about how he is quite literally between what we see in the world this gives us a sense of peace when we are in hard times because we know that no matter where we go no matter what we do that god is not only there that he is simply before us and we can have confidence in the hard times that he's still there it's also convicting Because we know that whatever we see, God sees too. And there's no hiding from that. There's no shutting your door. There's no being quiet. Because God is there with us. At all times, in all places. God is not some far off distant God. He is right here. Lesson two, 
Lesson two, God protects us. God protects us. The eye is very vulnerable. As far as I understand, it's the only internal organ that's kind of like protruding out. We have to be very, very careful. And our reflexes help us with that, don't they? Our facial features and our design, we have these things called eyebrows and eyelashes. We have these eyelids that blink so fast we don't even know what's going on. How many times have we blinked to avoid something, dodged, thrown our hands up? Our natural reaction is that something comes near our eyes is to move away and to protect at all cost our eyes. Now think about that as I reread a couple of these verses. Proverbs 7, 2. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. So we are to hold godly wisdom in such high regard that we would protect the word of God just as much as we would protect our own eye if possible. When someone comes to take it away from us, we instantly should reflect and move When someone comes to challenge or to tear apart the word of God, we should be guarding against that as much as we guard against our eye. Psalm 17 and 8, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Again, this is a prayer to God for him to guard over us just as we would protect our own eye. We want God to protect us. And that is literally in the blink of an eye. For God to protect us, just as if something was flying toward my. Deuteronomy 32 and 10, we, we read this. It said, in the desert land, he found them in a barren and hollowing waste. He uh, shielded them and cared for them. He guarded them as the apple of his eye. And so here we see the emphasis that in Israel's vulnerability, God is loving and guarding and tenderly caring for them. So we know that God is close to us. We know that God protects us. We also know that God values us. That's the third lesson. God values us. If I hadn't explained what it means, especially in the Hebrew, to think the apple of your eye, you would probably have come to a similar Conclusion based on the way we use the language today. To say that someone is the apple of our eye means that we cherish them above all others. How much does God cherish us? Zechariah 2.8 says, For thus said the Lord of hosts, After his glory sent me to the nations whom plundered. For he who touches you touches the apple of my eye. He who touches you touches the apple of my eye. Wow. Let me try and rephrase this. Someone who offends, who touches, who violates one of the righteous ones, one of his believers, one whom he has called his own, is basically trying to stick a finger in God's own eye. 
I wouldn't want to do that. Who would have the guts to walk up to God and stick your finger in his eye? Not, not me. But this is clearly what is being expressed here, that those who take offense and who harm the believers, it's like sticking a finger in God's eye. Whew. Think he's going to defend himself? Oh, I think so. Now let me change this around a little bit, because it might be very easy for all of us to say, well, I would never, ever, ever do that. When was the last time you said something about another believer that you shouldn't have? Now it gets a little more personal, doesn't it? Because just like I believe unbelievers can go against believers, and it's like sticking a finger in God's eye, when there is division among us, when we badmouth another believer, when we gossip about another one, when we put another one down, it's doing the same exact thing. It's sticking our finger in God's eye because we are the apple of his eye. And it should remind us, next time we want to talk bad about somebody who's a believer, next time we want to do it in person, next time we want to dress someone down who's a believer, next time we want to lie to them or cheat or steal or do something wrong to another believer, lest we forget that we are, as believers, sticking a finger in God's eye. Literally. And we should be cautious about doing that. God is on our side. He values us. He individually made us. He knew us from the time we were formed, as the psalmist says, until the last breath that we take. And those of us who are believers are the apple of his eye. and He values us. He thinks about us. He loves us. He cares for us individually. He stares into our eyes intimately. So God is close to us. God protects us. God values us. And the last lesson from this is things grow strangely dim when we stare into the eyes of another. I think there's a reason, and a very good reason, we should even think about this romantically getting lost in another's eyes. Psalms 27 and 4 says, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's what David wants. One thing that I want is that I can sit and gaze into the Lord's eyes that I can sit and look at who he is and see the reflection of myself in him. Some of us don't value ourselves very well. Really. That's a very serious problem. But imagine for a minute, if you only saw yourself in the reflection of the eyes of someone who loved you unconditionally. You'd value yourself differently, wouldn't you? Because you would look differently. 
Some of us get distracted by so many things in the world. There's so many things going on here and here and up and down and everywhere. And we never take the time to sit and look deeply into the eyes of our Lord and get lost in them. Now, as I said, this is all metaphorical in a sense. There's no physical eyes for us to gaze into God. How do we gaze into God? We spend time with him. We pray with him. We talk with him. We read his scriptures. We fellowship with his believers, the others that we share, the beautiful title, the apple of his eye, and we spend time and gaze on him. And as we do that, Everything grows strangely dim. In a few minutes, we're going to close with this hymn. But it says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. God is close to us. How close? This close. God protects us. How quick and swift is his protection? The blink of an eye. How much does he care about us? Enough to give us eyebrows and eyelashes and replace them when they're gone. God values us so much that he cherishes us like we cherish those who we get close enough to look into their eyes. And we know that as we gaze into his eyes, we see our own reflection. And when we do that, everything else fades away. And we focus on him. And we're revived and renewed So try to imagine just for a minute as everything else fades away. You're so close to God. You're six inches away. You're staring into his eyes. You don't see what time it is. You don't see the things of the world that you want. You don't see those who hate you. You don't see the things about yourself that you don't like. All you do is you see a reflection of how God sees you. And if you've been saved by his grace, he sees you as perfectly righteous because he covered you with the blood of his son. God sees us closely. God protects us like the eye. God values and cherishes us. And some of us need to be reminded of how God sees us. We need to make sure that we are focused on Him. We need to remember that He is before us at all times. And He sees everything that we see. And He's always with us. And some of us need to see Him for the first time. Because if you go back to 1 Peter, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open to our prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. 
Well, who does evil? Well, those who aren't righteous. And who's not righteous? Everyone who's never begun a personal relationship with God. Everyone who's never been called, everyone who's never repented, everyone who's never received that forgiveness. You are, as the scripture says, the enemy of God, and he does not hear, he does not see. You, he puts his face against. The face of those he loves is tender and loving. He cherishes us. We are his special possession. He will protect us and guide us and love us if we would only but look into his eyes. And so as we sing this hymn today, I passed out a few books, and many of you don't need books. You'll pick up on it. I want us to really take time to think. Think about the apple of his eye. Ask yourself, is he the apple of your eye? Are you looking into him as the cherished one close enough? Because he's looking at you. He's standing in front of you. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter what you see, he's right here. There is comfort in that. There's beauty that's very rich in that. There can be shame in that too. Brothers and sisters, let us look unto him, the author and finisher of our faith. Sister Judy, let's have a hymn. It's only in the uh, reddish brown book, 198. Or if you have your phone handy, you can easily find Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus as the lyrics. I ask that everyone would stand. We'll sing all three verses, please. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and pay special attention considering all that we've just...